0: This is an ABC News special, Attack on the Capitol, one year later. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. Six days into 2021, most of us hadn't yet broken our New Year's resolutions when the glass started breaking on Capitol Hill. A mob of pro-Trump rioters mobilized by then-President Trump's false claims of a stolen election stormed the Capitol where Congress was certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election.
1: Madam
2: Speaker, members of Congress...
3: The
0: mob intended to interrupt certification of the Electoral College and keep Trump in power through violence. The rioters toppled police barriers, desecrated the grounds and interior and attacked outnumbered officers. The Justice Department says some 140 police officers were injured that day at the Capitol, including 80 U.S. Capitol Police officers and 60 from the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C.
2: I was grabbed, beaten, tased, all while being called a traitor to my country. I was at risk of being stripped of and killed with my own firearm.
0: As the mob rampaged through the building, a group turned toward the lobby of the House chamber, where dozens were holed up inside. Ashley Babbitt, an Air Force veteran, was shot and killed by a U.S. Capitol Police officer who was trying to protect members of Congress. Five people died during or after the mayhem, including four rioters and one officer. Then-Vice President Mike Pence was escorted to safety. Outside, rioters took his name in vain. Rioters parked themselves in House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office, left threatening notes in the Senate chamber, and gradually became more violent. Capitol Police say well over 10,000 people came onto the Capitol grounds January 6th, and at least 2,000 people entered the building. Some carried baseball bats and body armor. They brought radios and plastic handcuffs, smoke bombs, and at least one cattle prod. A surreal scene. Three hours passed, and the National Guard was called before the sergeant-at-arms declared the building secure.
4: All individuals must leave the U.S. Capitol
5: ground or be subject to arrest.
0: Early the next morning, Congress certified the election results.
5: Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the president and the vice president according to the ballots that have been given to us.
0: More than 700 people have been charged for their roles in the riot, and the FBI is looking for 300 more. There were those that appeared to act on their own, and others, part of a well-organized militia or far-right group, like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys.
6: Those involved must be held accountable. And there is no higher priority for us at the Department of Justice.
0: There have been nearly 200 convictions. A congressional investigation into what happened is well underway and public hearings are planned this year.
7: If in the course of our review, we find something that we, warrant, that we think warrant review uh, or recommendation to the Department of Justice, to be honest with you, uh, we'll do it.
0: Committee Chairman Benny Thompson is joined by two Republicans. Many other Republicans continue to downplay the brazen attack and former President Trump's role in it. Liz Cheney said she is committed to a thorough investigation.
4: The president could have at any moment walked those very few steps into the briefing room, gone on live television, and told his supporters who were assaulting the Capitol to stop. He could have told them to stand down. He could have told them to go home. uh, And he failed to do so. Uh, It's hard to imagine a more significant and more serious dereliction of duty uh, than that
0: Then President Trump became the first president to be impeached and stand trial twice.
8: Article of impeachment exhibited by the House of Representatives of the United States of America. The
0: House impeached him one week after the mob stormed the Capitol, charging him with incitement of insurrection.
8: and in maintenance and support of its impeachment against him for high crimes and misdemeanors.
0: Trump's Senate trial quickly ended in his acquittal. He
7: said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby acquitted of the charge in said article.
0: Trump was never going to sink into the background like other former presidents, and he continues to push his false claim to have been robbed of electoral victory.
9: If you know a vote is fraudulent, right, how can you pass on a
1: fraudulent vote to Congress? The
0: lie inspired Georgia to pass an election law that critics said will make it harder to vote.
1: Rather than uh, having the people select
7: uh, their Politicians, the politicians are trying to cherry pick their voters.
0: In fact, state legislatures around the country enacted far more restrictive voting laws in 2021 than in any year since 2011, the year the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU began keeping track.
10: Here in this very building, a decision will be made about whether we uphold the right to vote and ensure free and fair elections.
0: At least 19 states enacted 34 laws restricting access to voting in 2021. Trump and his allies filed more than 60 lawsuits challenging the outcome of the election over alleged fraud, despite no evidence of widespread fraud that could have impacted the results. So
9: we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Nearly
0: every single lawsuit was rejected, thrown out, or withdrawn, including two denials from the U.S. Supreme Court. Hanging over this anniversary of January 6th is the question of accountability. While more than 700 people have been charged for taking part in the riot, None of the political figures behind the effort to overturn the election has faced consequences. And the congressional inquiry itself faces a deadline. If Democrats lose control of the House in November, it is seen as unlikely a Republican-controlled Congress will continue the investigation.
2: Are we going to be a nation that lives not by the light of the truth, but in the shadow of lies? We cannot
9: allow ourselves to be that kind of nation.
2: The way forward is to
0: recognize the truth. And the truth, President Biden said today as he marked the anniversary at the Capitol, is former President Trump spread lies and did nothing to stop what he called an armed insurrection. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers joins us now. Karen, these were some of the most searing remarks of his presidency.
1: Aaron, this was the most forceful, aggressive speech we've seen from President Biden since he took office. For nearly a year, he has gone to great lengths to not talk about Donald Trump, and that's a strategy. His team does not want the former president looming so large over their agenda, and President Biden doesn't want to give Donald Trump any more attention. But today, he unleashed a flood of criticism, and Aaron, at times, it almost seemed like it was pent up frustration from President Biden. He blamed the former president for the chaos and violence one year ago today at the Capitol and said that Donald Trump didn't just rally that mob of his supporters to attack the Capitol, he watched it on TV and did nothing to stop it, even as lives were at risk throughout the day. President Biden said that Donald Trump's bruised ego matters more to him than American democracy or the Constitution, and he can't accept that he lost. He also said that the president laid the ground work even before Americans started voting, that this goes well beyond just election day and what happened after it, that President Trump was sowing doubts about the election even before that. Here's what he had to say.
10: He was just looking
2: for an excuse, a pretext to cover for the truth. He's not just a former president. He's a defeated former president.
1: Aaron, the president, also had a message for the former president's supporters, Republicans out there who still believe the lies he has been telling about the election. As the president said you can't love our country only when you win and you can't be patriotic when you embrace and enable lies.
0: ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent on President Biden's remarks that began a day long commemoration at the Capitol that only ended a short time ago. ABC's Elizabeth Shilsey was there. She's with us now. Elizabeth, there were remembrances, recollections, moments of silence. Not a lot of Republicans.
10: Not a lot of Republicans, Aaron. It was a strikingly different picture at the Capitol today compared to a year ago. The events that were organized throughout the day were organized by Congressional Democrats. They were somber and solemn, a moment of silence on the House floor to honor the fallen officers, a candlelight prayer vigil on the Capitol steps. We heard from dozens of lawmakers recounting their horror and fear during the attack when thousands of rioters breached the building during that joint session of Congress that was certifying the election results, the halls in the offices that rioters stormed and vandalized They were largely empty and quiet today. The police presence at the Capitol, it was noticeable in and around the complex, but there was almost an eerie tension, Aaron, among the officers, the staff members and lawmakers, as the memory of the insurrection is still so fresh. And the message that we heard repeatedly from top Democrats is to remember the historical importance of that day, saying it wasn't just an assault on the Capitol, but on our democracy. That is a reality they want lawmakers and the public to remember. But one, frankly, Aaron, a lot of Republicans are not facing right now.
0: Only two showed up, including former Vice President Dick Cheney and his daughter Liz, who has taken so much heat for her position. We hear tonight from three officers who came under attack January 6th. Capitol Police Officers Harry Dunn and Aklino Gonell and Metropolitan Police Officer Daniel Hodges were beaten and left forever scarred. You may remember seeing Hodges being crushed in a doorway as rioters fought their way through the Capitol. ABC News anchor David Muir spoke to the three of them what they ask of their fellow Americans and what they believe could still happen in this country.
2: Nearly a year later,
11: do you all still live this? Yes. I, am I experience I have every single day. Uh, There's always something every day that reminds me of that day, uh, from the way I sleep, getting breakfast, making sure I don't hurt myself putting my shirt on, the way I walk, the way I play with my son, the phone calls from the Justice Department, from the FBI, from the Department, uh, asking for do I recognize this individual? Uh, do you re- remember when he assaulted you or your colleague right next to you? So it's, I'm very involved with a lot of those investigations to this day and I had not returned to full duty yet uh, due to my uh, injuries. Um, so it's it's been ongoing for me. So. I think it's just as simple as uh-
7: I work in the crime scene, you know, going to work at the Capitol every day. It's a constant reminder of, uh, you know, what happened, you know, I return to the crime scene every single
2: day. You have talked about what you saw, what you heard that day. Do you still hear those voices? No. Um, everybody
7: knows what happened. And if you, uh, disagree with what happened, then, uh, I don't know what to tell you because we watched America, the world watched uh, this attack, and um, I have got to the point where I've stopped trying to convince people about what happened. And uh, it's not my problem; it's not my responsibility to convince you what happened.
2: Now I want accountability for what did happen. So, you talked about the racial slurs. Mm-hmm saying it was the first time anyone had ever hurled a slur at you while wearing the uniform. Yeah. You know, it's so much
7: that happened that day that uh,
2: in the, um,
7: the weeks, the months that followed my testimony when I revealed that to the world, it was uh, looked at me like I was this race baiter and I was pulling the race card. And, um, okay, sure, take race out of it. There's still so much horror and trauma that happened that day to a white guy and a Dominican guy. People just looking for ways to deflect. So I stopped giving my energy to those people and just, all right, okay,
2: take my race out of it, sure. But do you remember that moment when it was finally over with and you were sitting on the floor at the Capitol and you turned to your friend and you asked that question? Is this America? You know, I, uh,
7: I didn't even know what to say because you're still trying to process what happened. How could something like that happen at the US Capitol, the uh, pinnacle of democracy, you know? How could something like that happen? Sure, I remember that moment very
2: vividly. I don't think I'll ever get it out of my mind, you know? Sergeant Canell, you, uh, you were beaten with a flagpole. You had chemicals sprayed at you, so much of it that it soaked your clothes right through to your skin. Yeah.
11: And you've said there were moments when you actually thought you were gonna die. Yes. Um, I struggled because I was getting pulled. I didn't wanna get pulled to a crowd. They were pulling me by my leg, by my shield, by my shoulder strap, and we don't know what those people had in those, those bags. There was nothing I could do. Because I couldn't even move my arms, I, I thought my, to myself that uh, I wouldn't make it out of there alive. You thought your life was in greater danger in, in those moments than yes. during your entire deployment in Iraq. Yes, sir.
2: What were they saying to you?
11: Uh, Traitor! Traitor! Uh, join us! You're breaking your oath. Some of them were showing badges. That happened with me at the moment. Like I, you know, like what the hell? A badge? I did see people with military paraphernalia, uh, veterans, Army for Trump, veteran for Trump. I know you finally got home 4 a.m. and your wife wanted to give you a hug. She did. And uh, it pains me because it still bothers me even after this month's uh, sins. Uh, Just talking about her makes me... Cry because I know how I was feeling that day, and and all she wanted to do was hug me because she had been watching TV since since it started, and I knew that if I were to hug it, then all those chemicals would have transferred to her. I told her no. I let me try to slowly take my 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 equipment off my uniform, and I went to take a shower. Um, after almost an hour doing that, then I just put a blanket and decided to hug her. And when I did that, um, I was crying like for about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Um, I didn't say much, just, just cry in her arms. Then I went to see my son and I cried some more
2: officer hodges you described what people were wearing that day you said ballistic vests helmets goggles military face masks
9: you know they weren't just there to listen to people speak and there wasn't just a rally Mm -hmm. they were ready for for violence that's what they had planned on it was premeditated they had a plan of action
2: the country the world now knows that moment uh, in the doorway Can you still see and hear the voices, and in particular that man who was standing across from you?
9: Oh, absolutely. Because of the way I was being crushed, I literally could not not look at him. So I remember just the, the intensity of his guttural screams, and I swear I remember him foaming at the mouth and just grabbing at my mask and ripping, off my, ripping it off my head, straining my neck. RIPPING AWAY MY BATON, BEATING ME IN THE HEAD WITH IT.
2: DID YOU THINK YOU WERE GOING TO GET THROUGH THAT?
9: I MEAN, IT CROSSED MY MIND AT THE TIME THAT, YOU KNOW, THIS MIGHT BE IT.
2: YOU HAD A CONGRESSMAN FROM GEORGIA, ANDREW CLYDE, WHO SAID IF YOU DIDN'T KNOW THE TV FOOTAGE WAS VIDEO FROM JANUARY 6TH, YOU WOULD ACTUALLY THINK IT WAS A NORMAL TOURIST VISIT.
11: YEAH. I'M NOT SURE IF uh, HE HAD WATCHED WHEN HODGES WAS SCREAMING, WHEN I WAS fighting for my life. I had the injuries. I could show it to him if he wants them, if he would like to. You've lost service members, and you've lost several
2: to suicide. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Do you think there's been a lot of quiet suffering? Absolutely. I'm a huge proponent of mental health awareness, and it needs to be checked. And I just make that plea to people, get help. It's okay. What would you say, not to Republicans or Democrats or independents on this one year mark, what would, what would you say to your fellow Americans about why that day should be remembered?
9: People have this conception of American democracy being invincible, that something like what happened on January 6th couldn't happen. And it, and it did happen. And it did happen. Do
2: you believe it's possible we, we see something like that again? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes.
9: My greatest fear is that people who fancy themselves more moderate peacemakers would try and push this all to the past in the name of building bridges when really it's just appeasement. They're just looking for peace in our time when the enemy is literally at the gates.
11: Yeah.
9: You know, you've got to deal with this harshly and quickly in order, for, uh, in order to squash any thoughts of this happening again, which I guarantee you people are imagining this happening again. Right now. Right now.
2: Three
0: officers who endured the worst of January 6th with ABC's David Muir. Coming up, how the riot left a town divided when this ABC News special continues.
12: The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers.
8: There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him.
12: For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.
7: You're listening to an ABC News special,
0: Attack on the Capitol, one year later. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. Tonight, on the one-year anniversary of the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol, we take you to a small town 260 miles outside Washington, D.C., where the impact of the day is still deeply felt. Rocky Mount, Virginia is home to two of the three active police officers who federal authorities have charged in the storming of the Capitol. Their involvement has divided the town and resurfaced long-running debates over race, history, and politics. So where do they go from here? ABC's Devin Dwyer is there to find out.
12: The chaos that stunned the world on January 6th had roots in sleepy southern towns like Rocky Mount, Virginia. In the quiet foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, where moonshine and bluegrass are king, and symbols of Donald Trump and the Confederacy are immortal. Bridget Craighead is African-American and a Rocky Mount native.
4: We just accept it and we just just take it for what it is this is their land this is their county and we just live in it
12: rocky mount is predominantly white and politically conservative the passions poured out in the capitol riot were no surprise here but the involvement of two of their own sent shockwaves through the town jacob fracker and thomas robertson are two of just three active police officers that federal authorities have charged for their alleged actions that day
5: i think it was actually shocking Everyone I've talked to was totally shocked that those two men would do that.
12: On social media, the Rocky Mount cops, both military veterans, celebrated their participation. Robertson saying they attacked the government to stand up for their rights. Fracker saying on Facebook, I can protest for what I believe in.
4: I could not believe what I was seeing. Like, seriously.
12: Craighead says she considered the officers family.
4: But we were out here in the front. We
12: had it was people. months earlier that they stood in solidarity at the town's first protest for Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Cell phone video capturing the cops dancing with the demonstrators.
4: They were killing the electric slide. I mean, I'm going to say. But I really felt like we were uh, the example of what a community needs to do to get through this type of trauma.
12: you consider them friends?
4: We were, and when we saw each other, hey, how you, this is a small town.
12: But January 6th was a betrayal of that friendship, she says, seen in their participation at the Capitol, elements of racism and white power. Craig had led calls to get the officers fired.
4: They needed to be exposed because it's, it's not only just them, they're just the body of the evil here. It's it's, it's, it's deeper than the two officers.
12: If you got some time with Jacob Fracker and Thomas Robertson today and you sat down with them face to face, what would you tell them? Was it worth it? was it worth it? Robertson and Fracker have pleaded not guilty to federal charges of disorderly and disruptive conduct and obstruction of Congress, insisting they didn't participate in violence that day and that their message is not incompatible with support for black lives.
9: They both were very um, polite gentlemen um, and they were both town police officers. However, it is unfortunate that they are no longer employees of the town.
12: Tyler Lee considers the now former officers his friends. At 29, he's the youngest person ever elected to Rocky Mount City Council, and he's spent the past year trying to urge his neighbors to turn the page.
9: I think we have to leave this stuff in the stuff a year ago a year ago, because if we keep bringing up what happened a year ago, it's still going to keep punching us in the mouth, right? If we can just teach compassion, communication, and how to balance a checkbook, those three things, I think you're golden.
12: But beneath the surface, emotions are still raw.
5: People like to fantasize, I call it, saying, you know, it's a good old Southern town and all the families get along and everybody's happy, et cetera. And I call that the fantasy.
12: School board member Penny Blue says the riot resurfaced divisions over race, history, and politics that date to the Civil War. Do you see what happened on 1-6 as an extension of the Confederacy?
5: I do it was an insurrection. And that's what these people did. It was an insurrection. Trump did not radicalize these people. He took advantage of what was already here. When I say here, I mean in Franklin County and America.
12: Voters here last fall broke heavily for pro-Trump Republican Glenn Youngkin for governor in a campaign dominated by debate over critical race theory, the town also tapping a new, more conservative representative to the State House of Delegates, a former member of Trump's 2020 legal team who fought the election results. You must never have been cheated by somebody. Some of these people will will go to their grave holding that grudge forever. Ren Williams, whose family has deep ties to this community, faced off against Bridget Craighead in November and won in a landslide. Church and God is a big thing for us history. As you said, we steeped in history and we feel as though um, people who don't understand our way of life or they don't resonate or connect with us, they, they dismiss it and they think it's less than. Did you consider the events of 1-6 at the U.S. Capitol an attack on the government? How do you view what took place there? I personally view it as a riot and I condemn all rioting. I condemn what we saw in January 6th and going into the Capitol and things like that. Go out into these small towns and actually see if anybody is talking about January 6th anymore, because they're not. They're not discussing it. Williams is convinced Trump will run for president again. Others in the community wait anxiously for word on his intentions. At Rocky Mount United Methodist, the political divide is evident in the pews.
3: If you have any hope of healing, you got to talk about what's hurting.
12: So how do you bridge the divide between those two groups of people who sit in your pews? I tend to
3: believe that honesty is the best policy ripping off the band-aids, the best way to move forward. So we talk about it. Um, We're unafraid here.
12: A willingness to keep talking to each other, that's one rare area of common ground we found in the divided town.
4: We're bringing up all these hurtful topics and subjects, not to rub it in your face or to bring up the past, but we have to bring up the past to learn from it and to move on and to heal
9: at the end of the day we all may disagree but you still have to be able to stick your hand out and and face it as a champ
12: as both sides of the debate in rocky mount say it's faith that will see the town through
3: to grow some flowers you got to disturb the dirt so this has been a disturbing year just like 2020 was but i believe in growth and it comes through sometimes seeing things messed up for a
12: little bit I'm Devin Dwyer, ABC News, Rocky Mount, Virginia. Aaron.
0: By now you know what happened January 6th. To find out why it happened, we're joined by ABC News Chief Investigative Reporter Josh Margolin. Josh, many of the violent rioters were primed for years to believe this country is in crisis and violence is the remedy.
6: Absolutely, Aaron. The You know, as the insurrection was occurring a year ago today... People in some places were treating it as a spontaneous outburst of violence, an outbreak of violence, a mob kind of thing, egged on by the rally. When we took a months long look back at the history uh, over over the last period of time, we found that for the better part of the decade, there has been a steady mobilization, building of momentum and recruitment in anti-government and militia movements throughout the country. And that pushed all the way forward into 2020. Then you have all of the Stop the Steal, the pandemic, lockdowns, the anti-mask movement, the QAnon conspiracy becomes a fuel on the fire. And then you have Donald Trump basically throwing a match on it. And everybody went, went forward from the ellipse to Capitol Hill.
0: Hmm. And, and you, you went back to look at, at standoffs between ranchers and, and the federal government going back years.
6: Absolutely. Well, the, the, the timeline is this. In the uh, early Obama period, 2009, 2010, we had the Tea Party. And the Tea Party, obviously, is a political movement that was opposed to liberal policies, the, uh, the health care reforms, things like that. At the same time you have the founding of the Oath Keepers, this militia group that has gotten so much attention because of the uh, alleged connection to the uh, Capitol insurrection and to the Trump people. Ultimately from there, 2009 goes forward, builds momentum. 2014, a standoff between ranchers and the militia movement in Bunkerville, Nevada. And then you have 2015, Donald Trump gets into the political arena and and starts saying what he says and pushing the issues he's pushing. 2016, there's an armed standoff at a wildlife refuge on the eastern frontier of Oregon, near the border with Idaho. Both of these two standoffs, the, the people who took control against the federal government, they actually ended up winning. And then you move forward into the Trump years, and then you have the pandemic.
0: So those are the roots of January 6th. There are also branches, and we're joined, too, here by ABC's Mary Alice Parks, because Mary Alice, the the lie that inspired the attack and kind of lit the match, as Josh is talking about, uh, also inspired changes to voting laws across the country.
8: Exactly, Erin. Experts have been tracking the really dramatic rise in restrictive voting laws. 19 states have enacted 33 new voting laws around the country. That's as of October. That would make it harder to vote. Some of these laws aren't that controversial. You can imagine changes to the exact kind of ID that's needed to request a mail-in ballot. But some, while they're talked about in being needed for security or safety, it's hard to wrap your head around that. Things like shortening early voting in Iowa, or a rule in Texas that makes it hard for community groups to help people with disabilities vote. So a big concern right now from voting rights activists that it's going to be harder to vote in the years to come. And another concern, some of these states, a much smaller number, three, four, five, playing around with possible laws that would make it so that partisan state legislatures could come in and seize control of some of the counting and recounting of, of um, ballots at the end of the day, and those kinds of laws we're going to have to be tracking very closely. They are obviously even more controversial.
0: And while political leaders track that, Josh, in the year since the attack, law enforcement agencies have focused on preventing the next one. I mean, how concerned are they about the lie and domestic extremism?
6: They're, really, they are incredibly concerned. It, it's almost impossible. There was a, a sense in in talking to officials today and yesterday. You could hear it in their voice. So go, coming into the the holiday period, we were seeing law enforcement communications and bulletins talking about chatter online. And you know, you well, we always see this how anniversaries wind up leading to these groups that commit attacks or might be in, in the same ideological space. They start using the anniversaries to mobilize and get people ginned up. But then in the days you know, just before New Year's and then this week, there has been a steady increase in chatter. And up to the point that today, the senior official in charge of intelligence and analysis at the Department of Homeland Security Issued an immediate, urgent email to law enforcement agencies around the country, putting them on notice that they are very worried about what they're seeing, and they wanted these other police agencies to be especially mindful to watch, uh, watch out for government officials and for members of Congress who are back home in their own districts. All that is to say, they're very, very concerned.
0: Josh Margolin, Mary Alice Parks. As America marks one of the most painful chapters in US history, the January 6th assault on the Capitol, we asked ABC's Martha Raddatz, who was there that day, for her recollections.
5: It felt like a war zone, where the population is uprising and, and going after you. There are thousands of people over here by the Washington Monument, I'm on Constitution Avenue, President Trump is speaking way over there, and that area is cleared out. Already, very early in the morning, people were walking in streams of people, carrying Trump signs, carrying American flags, but it was very much a feeling of, it seemed, every other rally. I rounded the corner, and I could see the Washington Monument, and I could see there were thousands and thousands of people there. But there was something about that morning that felt a little different.
9: We will never give up, we will never concede. Our country has had enough, we will not take it anymore and that's what this is all about.
5: One of the first people who came out and was leaving the Capitol said to me, you don't want to go in there, they just shot a girl in the neck. We didn't know what was going on. We had no idea how bad it was at that point. But I remember standing there looking up at our gorgeous Capitol and had a sense of unreality, knowing that this was one of the worst days in American history. To look to my right and see people being arrested who'd stormed it, see the National Guard, It, it was an unbelievable moment. January 6th, just exaggerated the divide in our country. The country was already divided. You you can respect someone's opinion on the other side, but you can't respect anybody who carried out something like that on Capitol Hill. That's not a political divide. That is a reality divide. That, That is a stark, stark red line. What I don't want is for people to forget what happened that day or, or to make it any less than what it was. It was an appalling assault on democracy.
0: ABC's Martha Raddatz. And so a year after a violent and deadly attack on the heart of American democracy, we as a nation seem more divided. Congress cannot agree on what the siege of the Capitol was. They certainly can't agree on what it means. As Jimmy Carter said more than 40 years ago, we are at a turning point in our history. There are two paths to choose. What's not clear, as the sun has set now behind the U.S. Capitol, is which path the nation is going to select. I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to a special
2: presentation from ABC News. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy's stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning.
10: First, though... It's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In
3: 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens— Where did that wisdom come from? And does it hold up today? Find the campaign throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.